And it's time. It's ghost with the eyeballs. With the eyeballs. I do not want to hear myself in my ears. Scott Turner. It's good to see you. Tato Kalin. Tato Kalin. I don't know, but go to YouTube. Now you're able to see. You are not going to be able to see. All right, what do we have? This is what we got. We got a lot tonight. Tonight's going to be good. Tonight's going to be good. I like this stuff. This is hot. I feel like I say that every time, though, because I just really enjoy this type of thing. But tonight, uh, I'm straight in. Straight in. Because less work for me later, less cutting. I can just upload things to other places. So the topic is, I guess it kind of depends to a degree. Should Christians be pacifists? I suppose would be an adequate title. Another is, is the turning of the cheek. Is that a valid principle? Is it even a principle? What does it mean? When, when should it be used? Is that all the time? Is that just sometimes the Sermon on the Mount? Honestly, as a whole, I have a slight problem with picking little things out of the Sermon on the Mount because it really is meant to be a, a, a one piece kind of unit there. And I don't like picking it into pieces, but for all intents and purposes, we're going to. So quick little overview while stragglers make their way. I'm gonna, we're gonna start with a little something from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has a book. What is her book called? His book called. C.S. Lewis, shoot, what is it? It's something very catchy. Why, why I'm not a pacifist. It was an essay. So C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called Why I'm Not a Pacifist. I believe it's in book form, though. I think you can get it in book form, but you can read it for free all over the internet. I don't think it counts as piracy, but it might. I'm not sure. I'd have to look into the copyright. But we're going to start off with that because I, I find it very interesting. I, I think, uh, you know, obviously, wild mind of our you know, kind of, of our time, uh, very relevant still in our time. Then I want to go straight to the actual verse is from Matthew. Then I want to look at what most people look at if they were going to ask this question. Because when, when we ask these questions, I feel like 90% of Christians are just going to Google it. And 90% of the time, they're going to get what we're going to go through. So we're going to kind of pick at that and see how we feel about that. And then go into some other verses that may be used to justify the verses in Matthew, depending on your interpretation. In my opinion, they counteract it. In other people's opinions, they justify it. So we'll kind of get into that a little bit too. And then after that, we have some old but beautiful thoughts, commentaries on it from a, a much earlier time. So a little bit difficult to read if you don't read things like that often. But very insightful, very beautiful. And then I'm hoping to kind of have a discussion because this is obviously like it's very relevant right now. This is very relevant. We are on the cusp of much violence. So a few, a few ideological layouts here before we actually start. There is talk right now among Christians in Christendom, in the Christian ecosystem of what do we do with the war? We're, I mean, depending on your view, again, we are probably entering into war. 
I feel like you have to at least say that Valerie. Good to see you. I would say we've already entered a war. I don't, maybe I'm a cynic. I, I don't know, but people have already died. Military has been dispatched. I feel like we're in the war. I feel like we've been in proxy wars for years now, but I feel like we are now actively involved in a hot war. Maybe I'm crazy though. But anyways, it, within the Christian sphere of the online world, Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, there's a lot of talk right now of Christians should not be supporting war at all. And then if you take that further, Christians should not be supporting the use of firearms in war. So I, I don't know what those people want us to do. They didn't want us to joust. Should we go back to jousting and just have the Iranians get on horses and do this, you know, Renaissance style? I'm not sure. But they're saying don't use guns at all. So, I mean, you instantly lose the war, one, if you're not going to use guns. But beside the point, I guess, just odd odd things that I didn't think were real, and they're very, very real. These views are very, very real. So, anyways, it's it's valid for today. It's valid for today. They want us to use cast. They want us to, to cast fireballs, yes. They want us to freeze them, like, like, uh, like Baldur's Gate, if anybody's that old and was a nerd when they were younger. They want us to use sorcery, but the good kind, the good kind of sorcery. So I don't know. I, I feel it's very relevant. We were going to talk about it anyways, but I feel like it's wildly relevant now because it's it's being talked about so much. Is Should Christians support the war? Should Christians support guns at all? But should we support the killing of other people? It does, should, should it matter whether they're threatening us or not? Does that even matter? Is Is jousting for the win? Is violence ever justified? at all and or is it not and in the verse the verse that is used almost only ever by itself is the main one for tonight and that is that is matthew and that is right here so we're going to read this real quick right now and then we're going to read a little something from c.s lewis so it comes out of the sermon on the mount it's a section titled in most bibles as retaliation possibly revenge depending on what bible you're using but it's Matthew 5, 38. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one would borrow from you. Now, a couple of things here. The this principle is often referred to as the lex talionis or the law of retaliation, which is why most most Bibles will have retaliation as the title there. But if you go back to Exodus 21 through 24, you can see where that comes from. That's the origin of it. It contrasts with the the unexpected or in some views, undeserved generosity that a member of the kingdom of heaven should display. It contrasts with that. So many, many things died with Mosaic Levitical law. There are people who believe this is one of the things that the eye for the eye died. And I'd say even the people who don't believe in Christian pacifism, they still believe that this idea of an eye for an eye in any scenario is still something null and void now under Christ. He also said, do not resist the evildoer. Jesus is speaking of someone who 
who does wrong to another person, which is a, that needs to be specific. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about in a general sense. He's not talking about anything at all other than what he's talking about. And that is person to person. That's the context. We can talk more about it and expand on it, whatever, cool, no problem. But the context is just that. He encourages the people who follow him to return good when someone else intends or does evil on a person-to-person basis. That is all that he's talking about. If we want to eisegesis other things, cool, but it's not exegesis. You're putting things in now, you're not taking things out. There's a difference. And then he said, whoever forces you to go one mile... Here, here's the reason I have a hard time talking to or listening to some people try to teach the Bible, because they'll just say like, oh, it's a it's a general reference to like, he's just trying to paint a picture. It's an illustration. Like, no, it's not. He's making a very specific reference. The specific reference is that the, the Roman military, they occupied Israel during this time and soldiers could require bystanders to carry a load for a mile. It's a very specific reference that Jesus is making. It's not some nimby-wimby, odd, general reference. It's extremely specific. So it matters to some degree. Does it change like the meaning of it? No, but it's important to understand what he's talking about. If we don't understand what he's talking about, no offense, Mikkel, you're going to love it, but I don't care what your opinion is. I just can't. I can't. I love you. I'll respect your opinion, but I don't care what it is because it, you need to understand what is actually being said. And that is what he's referring to. The Roman military was occupying Israel during this whole period. And the soldiers were actively doing this. So he is using an active part of their culture and dynamic to, to connect with the audience and to give them something that they already knew about. It would require people to carry a load of miles. So he's saying, if that is you, if you get called to carry that load, make it more, do another. To prove a point. He's trying to drive a point home. And honestly, this verse alone all by itself, it kind of screams pacifism, if you're being honest, until you start to pick at specific things, in my, in my opinion, and I'll justify. But once you begin to pick at some of the things like, do not resist the one who is evil, that's an important statement. That just gets skipped over. That's a very important statement. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Seems obvious. Go further. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Again, these are personal things. It's a personal, person to person, and that is all. So then the larger questions of, well, what about war? What, what about these specific situations outside of a personal dispute, which is what he's talking about? The very next couple of verses include being sued for a tunic and then giving a cloak as well. These are person-to-person issues. All right. Then I I do, I want to read this. This is from C.S. Lewis. Again, it comes from Why I'm Not a Pacifist. And it says this. As for divine authority, he points to Christendom, the Church of England's 39 articles, Thomas Aquinas for Catholics, and St. Augustine for the early church. And he suggests that the apostolic writings are all silent on or speak against pacifism. Looking more closely at scripture, he considers Jesus's teachings in the Sermon on the Mount about turning the other cheek in Matthew 539. Lewis believes Jesus is speaking in hyperbole and his teaching should be limited to neighborly 
disagreements where the only motivation is retaliation or revenge on a personal basis. He sums up Jesus' teaching saying, insofar as you are simply an angry man who has been hurt, mortify your anger and do not hit back. While Lewis believes that pacifism is built primarily on this one verse, he points to several other verses that speak favorably of war. Jesus praised without reservation a Roman centurion. That was in Matthew 8. And Paul in Romans 13 and Peter in 1 Peter 2 speak sympathetically towards participation in governmental authority and presumably the authority of the sword, which if you look, it's, it, it, it is, it is. So you have some validation in the other direction against the concept of generalized pacifism. Lewis's passion. Lastly, Lewis is skeptical of a secret influence of passion in the pacifist because pacifism threatens you with almost nothing. It offers you a continuance of the life you know and love among the people and in the surroundings that you know and love. On the other hand, joining the army leads to all kinds of hardships. Lewis never comes out and boldly says, but he wonders by implication if pacifists aren't really just cowards hiding behind a philosophical idea. Lewis sums up an answer to the title of the essay, Why I'm Not a Pacifist, saying, if I tried to become a pacifist, I should find a very doubtful factual basis, an obscure train of reasoning, a weight of authority, both human and divine against me, and a strong ground for suspecting that my wishes had directed my decisions. Which, the way that he said, the way that he said the ending there is the pure epitome of what biblical understanding has become. So I'm going to read it again. This, this is how we should, in my opinion, approach every moment that you're in the Bible or listening to somebody talk about the Bible, including me. Check me to it. He said this again. He said this. Take pacifist out. If I tried to become a pacifist, if I tried to study anything in the Bible and make a direct understanding of it, generalize it. I should find a very doubtful factual basis, an obscure train of reasoning, a weight of authority, both human and divine against me, and strong grounds of suspecting that my wishes had directed my decisions. That is eisegesis. That is improper hermeneutics. And it is so beautifully said. And this is why it was one of the greatest. One of the greatest. All right, real quick. What, uh, what do you guys got here? Yeah, God bless hermeneutics. That's 100%. We, I need to have a t-shirt that says God bless hermeneutics. Jesus' opening move is turning the other cheek. His finishing move will be utter destruction. Yes. And I hope, I hope somebody goes more into that. The revelation thing. I don't and I won't because I publicly talk about how I don't put weight in revelation. But if you are somebody who puts weight in revelation, you should be wildly anti-pacifism because revelation is insanely aggressive. It's insanely wartime. It's very, very, very much not pacifist. I can't do that because I already, I don't put much weight in it, but I don't feel like you need revelation to make a case against pacifism for Christians. But good God, man, if you are a revelation believer, that it should be, you know, very much involved in your biblical life, then you cannot be a pacifist because it's wild. 
I'm a realist and I'm the first to admit that living the Jesus way of love thy neighbor, turn the other cheek is humanely speaking almost, almost impossible. Mikkel, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it is impossible. All the time, it is impossible. It's impossible if self-preservation is on your priority list. Yeah, and we'll get into some of those questions too because I have some pointed questions of, well, what, what if this, what would you do? If in this scenario, what would you do? I do want to do this though, actually, real quick. I'm going to do a poll because I want to see if, if any of us, you know, believe the pacifist route. So should Christians be, should Christians be pacifists? Yes or no? Just out of curiosity and no, no, Hey, so be honest. I am, I am not on that train. However, I, I can understand why some people are. So just, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. All right. So that's C.S. Lewis. Now I want to do this. Okay. We, we will use this virtually anytime we try to answer any of these questions. What is a pacifist? Do we want to get up the definition? So our dictionary definition, a person who believes that war and violence are unjustifiable. That is the definition that we will go off of. If you have an alternative definition, just drop a link in there and I'll, I'll pop it up. But I, I would assume this is what probably most people think of pacifism. But I also give too much credit sometimes. So maybe, uh, maybe there is a different view. But here real quick. So any any time a Christian has a question, I mean, they killed it on the CO. Gotquestions.org. They killed it. They nailed it. However, more often than not, I despise reading from this website because they're, it's wildly biased, insanely biased. What, it's so, so, so biased. There's absolutely no nuance whatsoever. And again, just a recap for anybody who wasn't with us the day that we did this. You can always find out what the bias of a Christian organization is by going to their website, go to about us, and then there will be a, our values or our beliefs or something like that and read through what it is. You can, you can very quickly see what denomination do they fall under? That's a bias. And what theological bend do they have? Arminianists, open theists, Calvinists, whatever. That's a wild bias. That's a crazy bias. So once you get the theological view, then you get the denominational view then you know exactly why they're saying what they're saying. So what did Jesus mean when he instructed us to turn the other cheek? Jesus says, we already read it. So in the section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in which he commands us to turn the other cheek, he addresses the need for true transformation versus mere rule keeping. It's not enough to obey the letter of the law. We must conform to the spirit of the law as well. Much of the material surrounding Jesus' command to, the, to turn the other cheek complements the nature of his coming. Does it? Which was characterized by mercy, sacrificial love, and long-suffering towards sinners. I suppose it depends on what they mean by the nature of his coming. I, I would agree, depending on, the, on what exactly they mean by that. Yeah, but I guess beside the point. At the same time, Jesus affirms the last is first principle upon which the kingdom of God is based. For instance, he tells us to go the extra mile for someone who abuses us in 541 Matthew. 
and to love and pray for our enemies instead of holding enmity against them. And verse 44, in summary, Jesus is saying we need to be pure inside and out and as accommodating as possible for the sake of a lost world. Within reason, though. Within reason. Biblically and just logically, within reason. A word about the slap that Jesus says we should endure Jesus here speaks of personal slights of any kind. The slap or the smiting, the smiting, as the KJV has it. God, I love reading smite in the KJV. Have, have y'all seen the, the music videos? This one guy, and I think it's his wife, do about like the KJV. They're phenomenal. They're so, so, so good. He, he like pretends that he's KJV only. I don't think, yeah, I think he's making fun of it. But their songs... And his wife is like a normal Christian, like Baptist or Protestant or whatever. And she's like singing, talking to him. And he's like singing back arguments, but in KJV, it's phenomenal. They're, I have, they kill me. I'll try to find some of them, put them in the Discord after. Anyways, does not have, I got to read it again. The slap or the smiting as the KJV has it does not have to involve literal physical violence even in our day, a slap in the face is a metaphor for an unexpected insult or offense. Did someone insult you? Let him, Jesus said. Are you shocked and offended? Don't be. And don't return insult for insult. Turn the other cheek. Insult for insult is talked about several times throughout the New Testament. The concept of a non-physical slap in the face, using different terms, is talked about numerous times in the Bible. I think that much is relatively clear that, yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. In and it's something that I, I am a work in progress on because sometimes the people on the internet, I slap back. I posted one recently because I, I couldn't tell if I slapped back or if I dealt with it with grace. And people on the internet told me I didn't deal with it as gracefully as I thought I did. So I am working on these things. But that is a biblical principle. I, I fully believe it. Matthew Henry's comment on this verse is helpful. He said, suffer any injury that can be borne For the sake of peace, committing your concerns to the Lord's keeping, and the sum of all is that Christians must avoid disputing and striving. If any say flesh and blood cannot pass by such an affront, let them remember that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and those who act upon right principles will have most peace and comfort. It comes out of a commentary on Matthew 5.38. Turn the other cheek does not imply pacifism. Nor does it mean we place ourselves or others in danger. Jesus' command to turn the other cheek is simply a command to forego retaliation for personal offenses. So they got it. They got it. I don't read these ahead of time. I just grab the link, just to be clear. So sometimes I disagree with them, and sometimes I agree with them. I I, I agree. I agree. He was not setting government foreign policy. He was not throwing out the judicial system. Crimes can still be persecuted, prosecuted. And wars can still be waged, but the follower of Christ need not defend his personal rights or avenge his honor. Why else would that make sense? Biblically. Because those, the use of these terms specifically, personal rights or avenge one's honor, where does that come from? What what inside of you emits that? Pride. It's arrogance. For the most part. Right. If if I'm out with Kat and somebody offends her in front of me, my initial instinct is to slap the shit out of them. That's just like that's what will immediately pop into my head. And 
in a very violent way. However, should I do that? Like one, no, because it, it, it creates a more unsafe environment for her. Where if somebody just insults her and we leave, she stays relatively safe. In culture now, I think some women would look down on the man for doing that. However, just in like reality, walking away is probably the right move. However, pride and arrogance of somebody offending my woman makes me want to slap the shit out of them to defend her honor and to defend my pride. But all that really does is create a, a, more, a more potentially violent environment for the woman I'm trying to defend to be in. So it's counterproductive. There's a time in history when a man would feel compelled to protect his honor against one who slandered him or otherwise besmirched his character. The offended party would challenge the offender to a duel, swords, firearms, or other weapons were chosen, and two enemies would face off. In most cases, senseless bloodshed ensued. Samuel Johnson wrote in favor of the practice of dueling. A man may shoot the man who invades his character, as he may shoot him who attempts to break into his house. The problem is that invasion of character are exactly what Jesus told us to tolerate in 538. Turning the other cheek would have been a better option than dueling, and it would have saved lives. I don't like to agree with it, but I do agree with it. Retaliation is what most people expect and how, how worldly people act. Turning the other cheek requires help from on high, responding to hatred with love, ignoring personal slights, display the supernatural power of, in, of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and may afford the chance to share the gospel. Jesus, whoa, what did I miss? Jesus never, Jesus never draw lines on race, occupation, or anything like that. His lines were always drawn on faith, trust, loyalty, understanding, ideas, etc. Yeah. Mikkel said, oh, but the Jonah's pacifist peacemaker begrudgingly way. I'm more akin to that. Pacifism is a temporary strategy, in my opinion. It can't be a permanent strategy or else we'd be extinct. What is that? Is that true, though? Or is that even that circumstantial? Are there scenarios, I guess, where pacifism as a permanent strategy would be successful? And, and maybe there's things where pacifism is never a good strategy. I mean, one example is like if somebody immediately imposes threat on you or your family, I don't think any, any second of pacifism is, is probably a smart strategy. But in other cases, I could, I could see the opposite. I think it's more circumstantial than like whether pacifism as a concept is either always good or always bad or for a certain amount of time good or a certain amount of time bad. I think it's totally circumstantial. I am more a Jonah pacifist peacemaker in a begrudging way. Hate kind of love, hate kind of way. They put the video in the chat along with how many minutes you should fast. Yeah, I got it ready, Rodriguez. I got your video right here. We're six minutes and 30 seconds in. We'll run it. I hope it's, I hope, I hope you vetted it properly because I did not listen to it. I had to just get it right there, ready to go. Charlie, just an important distinction for this conversation. I see. What would you do versus what would be right to do? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's the question, really, right? If you boil everything down, that's exactly what the question is. Yeah, 
Shouldn't those things be the same thing? No, should they? Well, I mean, they should. Yes, yes. Rewind. Yes, they should be. But do we ever do what we should do all the time? No, no. Remember that guy in the dealership waiting area? The guy in the dealership waiting area, the lady in the car in the Walmart parking lot that almost hit you. Yeah, there's been a few times. Give them a warning. Turn the other cheek. Oh, you mean recently in the car dealership? Yeah, that was a good example. That was a, that was a great example where I did nothing. And yeah, it was painful. Give them a warning. Turn the other cheek. If they still aggress toward you, then all bets are off. Well, I don't know. Are we still confusing the concept then? I mean, turn, turn the other cheek is not a testament to violence. It's not because I, I don't think I don't think there's any scripture to back the idea that if somebody physically assaults you, you are to do nothing. So I think let's clear that up real quick. Is there ever a time where somebody should, can physically assault you or somebody that you love and you should do nothing about it. Is there ever a time for that? Because my argument is that the turning of the cheek has nothing to do with violence at all. I don't think it has anything to do with violence. In, in the slightest. So I think the turning of the other cheek is a completely separate concept. And I think if you look at the concept of violence, the Bible, Old Testament, a lot and New Testament a little seems to back the idea that there are definitely times for violence. And, and there's really no explicit directive away from violence when there is an aggressor. Charlie said, there are a few situations I can think of where I would probably kill or do something violent if I was put in this situation, but I don't think I could stand before God and say I did nothing wrong. So you think I, even if, even if you, committed violence in a justified scenario you still think you'd be wrong so then that becomes a moral conversation is it moral to kill somebody who is about to kill your wife or husband or is that immoral that to me becomes a, a very moral question ghost i'm gonna drop an invite just in case you did want to come up no you don't have to though i just don't want to forget that's an interesting question. So I think a couple things there. The turning of the cheek. Does it have anything at all to do with violence? That's question one. I would say no. But you could easily disagree. The other question is what Charlie's saying. And I think that's a fabulous question. That is a moral question. There are a few situations where he would commit violence or kill somebody uh, if he was put in a situation. But still, he doesn't think that he'd be able to stand before God and say he did nothing wrong. Which means that would indicate that he feels some kind of moral guilt or believes that God has some kind of moral code against that, even if he did it in a justified setting, which I would disagree with. I think I see Charlie's point. What's the right thing to do? Let's say God's way. Let's say God's way versus what would I do? Self-serving, self-centered way. Is it self-serving or self-centered to kill somebody who's about to kill you? Kind of. Is it, is it justified, though? Or would you be making a moral slip? Would you be acting in an immoral manner to kill someone who is about to kill you? Guaranteed. Pulls a gun to your head, they're about to kill you, and you're able to kill them first. Is that immoral? 
is the question. I don't think it is. I don't think I would have. I any don't problem, think so. Right. I don't think I'd have any problem standing before God. If somebody walked into my house and this was one of my questions, if somebody walked into my house, I have a seven year old daughter and I have cat. If they came in here with the intention to to even just to harm them, but to kill them, I would have no problem ending their life. Zero. None. And I feel 100 percent fine about it. It's an interesting question, though. I honestly didn't think about that specific kind of take there uh, of whether even in what you call a justified setting, is it immoral? It's very interesting. Charlie said, I'll also add, I think that a lot of the martyrs in Christian history would have been kind of dumb laying down their lives if pacifism is totally wrong. Another interesting question or concept. So I, guess I was going to bring up the uh, breaking into the house with the wife and the kids thing. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, it's like it's a go to. So it's the easy one. I had I had another one, though, I think. It's a pretty plausible scenario, too, especially coming up in the future. Oh, very. I think. I think very. Yeah. What about the martyrs ghost? That's a, that's a interesting. I think a lot of the martyrs in Christian, he said, uh, I think a lot of the martyrs in Christian history would have been kind of dumb laying down their lives if pacifism is totally wrong. I think that's more of a question of why. Why did they do it? I don't think it was due to pacifism. Well, we're still talking about them now. Maybe it was to be remembered. Maybe it's a bigger cause than just because like someone breaking into your house and you got your family there. That's a more private matter, and it's not being witnessed by thousands of people. Sure. Um, so I think there's a difference in that. What I mean, so Char Charlie, and I guess goes too. What? Why did? Why did they let themselves get killed? It's uh, to me, it's loyalty. They did it out of loyalty for God. Like in most, obviously not all, but in in most of the famous cases of martyrs, they were being told they had to say something that was not true. In my opinion, that goes back to Charlie's kind of moral question. If in order to save yourself, you you profess that Jesus is not God, you're then I would have a I'd have a problem standing before God after they killed me anyways because they probably would have. But if if I choose to die in defense of God, I I wouldn't call that pacifism at all. It's it's a very different circumstance to me. Do you disagree or do you see it different? Uh, if someone like had a gun to your head and say, say Jesus isn't real or whatever, like, yeah. So, so I mean, in the case of the martyrs, some of the most famous ones, they would grab and they'd have them publicly proclaim that Jesus Christ is not Lord. And so they refused to do that. And so then they were killed. And, and Charlie, I think it's good to refuse to do it. it no, exactly. People are watching, but is it pacifism? I don't think so. I don't see no, that as pacifism because it serves like a bigger purpose. A person, yeah, no, that, Charlie, so even just by definition, I, I think we can factually debunk that one. The, the definition of pacifism is a person who believes war and violence are unjustifiable. Martyrs laying down their lives in defense of their faith and loyalty to God says nothing about their belief in war or violence. If, if it was, I suppose, if they grabbed a martyr and they said, you are going to fight this Roman soldier to the death, and they said, I'm not going to do that. And so they just let themselves get killed. 
that would be an example of pacifism. But in the case of most martyrs, they got killed for a totally different reason. So I think we could rule pacifism out. Charlie said, there are a good number of martyrs that thought it would be better to lay down their lives for Christ rather than try to overthrow the system that was oppressing them, the Roman Empire. I think the term pacifism is kind of unhelpful since most pacifists don't actually think it's good to stand around and do nothing. I think that gets a little bit too subjective because I think we'd have a hard time saying what most pacifists do or believe. But I, the, fir the first one, a good number of martyrs thought it would be better to lay down their lives for Christ rather than to try to overthrow the system that was oppressing them. I still don't think I would. And I mean, you, you're, you're free to disagree, but I would still say that that doesn't represent pacifism. They had a, they, it, it, was a, it was a pride for God. It was a loyalty to God. They weren't willing to, you know, renounce their faith. Rodriguez, I, I pulled you up. If it's the aggressor has a bigger gun than you, turn the other cheek. If you value your life. <laughs> Plot twist, be uncomfortably kind when possible. The guy I mentioned at the dealership was very clearly judging Joe based on his appearance. I stared at him as he eyed Joe smiling. Yeah, I just that stuff just doesn't bother me anymore either. I then asked him how he was doing on such a lovely morning. He knew I caught him and got my point across. Yeah, I don't know. I've been very good since I've been with you, Kat. You you came into my life when uh, I got things together. All right, Rodriguez, I tried to bring you up. It looks like you turned it down. So just raise it again if you're trying to get up. All right, is there anything else here? Duck, duck, go. Scott, why I think... I think when uh, the martyrs refused to deny Christ, I think it uh, it was a strategic move because if you have witnesses and everyone is seeing that, wow, these people are not denying him, even at the threat of death, then it adds validity to what they're saying and what they believe. And it also puts fear into the oppressor. For sure. For sure. Do you, do you think they were thinking that, though, like at the time? Uh, do you think they were like thinking mm. all that through, or do you think they were just like stubbornly? I, w I will not do that. I know that this is true. I, I, I'm more fearful of the consequences should I do what you're telling me to do, more so than you killing me. How you're going to kill me? Well, I think they they genuinely believed. So for them, I don't think it was like a a big deliberation. I think they just yeah felt that yeah. I mean, I know who I serve, etc. Yeah, that's that's how I kind of see it too. Revelation six nine. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. Oh, Duck Duck Go gave a good definition of pacifism. Doesn't Google own Duck Duck Go now? Oh God. I've never oh, heard Duck, that. Duck, I, hope is, not. I don't know if it's Google for sure, but it's it's absolutely corporate. You can't trust it. Compromised. Yeah, hundred percent for years. You gotta use uh Brave. Brave is still safe to my understanding. Uh pacifism. Brave. Yeah, Brave is good stuff. Pacifism is the opposition or resistance to war, military, or violence. The word pacifism was coined by the French peace campaigner 
whatever, and adopted by other peace activists as the 10th Universal Peace Congress in Glasgow in 1901. A related term is Ahimsa, which is a core philosophy in India or in Indian religions such as Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. Interesting. Was that the definition, Scott, or did you get something else? I mean, that was much more detailed. Oh, that's Wikipedia's definition. If you had something else, send the link, Scott. All right, did I miss anything? Or, Ghost, do you have anything else before? Uh, I mean, I think it's possible to kind of hate the concept of war, but also at the same time realize that it has a place depending on who's the aggressor and if you're trying to, you know, I don't know. I think who the aggressor is is an important aspect to calculate when it comes to is war good or not. Yeah, and it I think it gets muddy though. So if you take, I mean, take two obvious ones, take the Middle East because it seems like we're about to get down with them again. You take the Middle East, which is predominantly Islam. They have their own moral function, moral foundation, religious beliefs, all of that jazz. And then in the U.S., I mean, now we don't really have the Christian morals or values or beliefs, but we kind of have this melting pot of United States effed up subjective morals that are, I mean, are there. They're there. A lot of us don't agree with them, but they're there. So we have these two, two different entities that each believe they have the truth, not very different than religion in general, and we're willing to die for it. It kind of removes any of the like, I don't know how to say this. It's all subjective to a point. Like we, we believe that God's morals are objective, but not everybody believes that. And, and Islam believes that Allah's morals are objective. So to them, they feel justified in their killing of us because they believe that we are of the devil and we're not of Allah. And in the U.S., pretend we're a Christian nation, we would feel the same way. So I think, does that not kind of remove the... Yeah, I see what you're saying. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm um, having a hard time expressing it, but it's subjective. We're fighting for subjective truth, but to each group, it's objective. So each group feels justified. On one level, I think, I think what it is is we want to do X but we can't say that outright. So we have to come up with silly reasons as to why we're doing what we're doing overseas. Yeah. And that's kind of what I think it is. We have to be able to point out the BS and identify it and say, no, we're not over there because of that. We're over there because of this, you know, yeah. like we did with after nine 11 and stuff. Like there were a segment of people who knew that the WMDs was nonsense. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But those people were shouted down as conspiracy theorists and whatnot. So it's yeah. just a battle of knowledge, man. I don't know. That would be the same perspectives. thing. Yeah. It'll be the same thing. Yeah, it's all perspective, right? The Charlie said, the Lil Gremlin in me. If Jesus says peacemakers will be called sons of God, what does that make war makers? But what is a peacemaker? I think you'd have to really define that first. What is a peacemaker? A diplomat, a philosopher. Like Marcus Aurelius said, we need philosopher kings, mm -hmm. and we don't have them. So here we are. Hey, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to cook dinner and do like a million things, but I was still on the martyrdom thing. So what part are we on exactly? I mean, if you have something for martyrdom, you can throw it out real quick. We, we haven't really moved on from any of that. 
Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I had thrown up the scripture earlier where it talks about martyrdom. Hang on, bring this. In Revelation, I read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there was also a portion in 10, but it was just kind of like they were still asking for justice. It's not like they were complete pacifists and like, you know, let it go. It almost kind of reminded me with the whole scenario of Cain and Abel, you know, where God confronts them and he's like, hey, your your brother's blood is crying out to me. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge social justice person in case you guys haven't figured uh-huh. that out already. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm most definitely not for pacifism. I feel like if anything, it's probably needed amongst us, like the brethren. I mean, yeah. So, so on a personal basis, you mean? No, not necessarily a personal basis, but just with our families, with our, with, um, well, that, so interpersonal, interpersonal. I mean, like for right, me, yeah, me to go to you, like our group here, for instance. Yeah. In our homes with our spouses, our children and, and yeah. whatnot. Um, but your boss, I mean, I, I mean, of course, certain things are, you know, different scenarios, but, um, but yeah. Oh, vengeance is the Lord. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know that that's a good verse for, for, for pacifism. I think I keep thinking about, um, Ecclesiastes where, where it talks about like a time and a season for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, context is definitely key. I'm very grateful for Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and everything he did despite the fact that he got a lot of pushback in this area, probably because of verses like this being taken out of context. The revelation or vengeance? No, 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 no. Uh, turn the other cheek, vengeance and different things like that. I, I felt really bad one time. There was a client where she was um, a Muslim and her leader, I forget what it's called for them, basically didn't help her when her husband was being violent. So then she tried to go to the Christian church for help. And unfortunately, when she did, this verse was used out of context where basically the pastor had told her like, hey, if your husband is beating you, you need to learn to turn the other cheek. <laughs> yeah, see, that, well, that's just an example of Christians being shit. Yeah, 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 I hope to God she's still alive. That's that's all that that is. Yeah, there's there's so I guess this it'd be a good time for a recap. We've, we've, I, I have learned, and you guys believe whatever you want. I have learned turning the other cheek has nothing to do with violence at all. It, he's not talking about violence. It wasn't the context. It, there's no surrounding context that makes it appear that way. There are other points where Jesus talks about violence and, and there are other places more so where he insinuates violence and, and that it is permissible in certain cases. Then if you aggregate beyond it to the epistles and, and other letters, and then outside of the canon, whether you like it or not, there there is much more data that would would make us believe that violence is situational and circumstantial, and that you do have some kind of responsibility to protect to protect um, your loyalty to God. You have a responsibility to protect your family and to protect the community. But more than anything, the innocent, which to me is women and children. So any anything like that is just on its face bullshit to me. Where where 
that's so, just people not understanding. So is it only in the realm of protection? Because I mean, the whole civil rights movement could be seen not necessarily as a direct, you know, response to protection. It's not like someone broke into your house. Well, protection, I mean, I don't want to get too into anything political, but protection is anything where somebody who's, uh, I guess, how do I say it in like a general sense? Protection isn't just if somebody comes in your house, you you do something to them. If If somebody is being, I'm trying to be real careful with the way I say this. If, yes, please do. <laughs> if an individual or a group of individuals are being treated in an immoral manner, protecting them can look a bunch of different ways. It can be diplomatic. It can it can be violent. There's a lot of different ways that can look without without on purpose, without getting specific or political. That can look a lot of different ways. So if a certain group of people is being put down in a way that's immoral from a Christian uh -huh. perspective, then right. Christians. Per, per my understanding of the Bible, would have some kind of responsibility to fight against that. That may be violent, it may not. No, yeah, and one thing that I think kind of comes to mind when it comes to that is, like, if you look at Egypt, right, the only time God unleashed horrific, ungodly plagues would have been over slave owners refusing to release slaves. Sure. And I, I mean, another good um, example that is less close to home for a lot of us would be uh, R R Rome and like Pope Rome and the early movement of the church outside of Catholicism. A lot of them were burned at the stake. A lot of them were murdered because they were trying right. to free common people into being able to learn about the Bible outside of the control of the, the Catholic Church. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying either. I do want to do this before we get too far off base, though. Ruth said, Ruth said something that I think will sum a lot of this up in a really good way. She said, turning the other cheek is a summary of verses 38 through 48. Nowhere does it mention defending your life. Go the extra mile, forgive debts, be a model prisoner, which just pushes more on the concept of the, the, the aggregated principle that we're given in the Bible is that on a personal level, you are to metaphorically turn the cheek. That if somebody, if Ghost or Rodriguez comes on here right now and insults me like you guys did to me two Sundays ago at a freaking Bible study, I am to turn the other cheek. I, I am not we, to insult you no. back. What? I said we love you, Joe, no matter what. No, I know, I know. But uh, I'm not to hit back. You're not to hit back. If somebody, right, right. I mean, I get lit up on the internet every day. All, all day, every day. Horrible things are said, wild things are sent to me in direct messages. I'm not to hit back. And 99% of the time, I don't. 1% of the time, I definitely do. And honestly, it feels really good. But I know that I shouldn't do it. So you should not hit back. That's the principle. That's the idea. That's the concept. Outside of that, it, there's, in my opinion, until somebody presents a good case, I don't think there's any reason to believe that war, should it be a moral war, is not justified. What is a moral war? Well, what is the reason a ghost was just talking about some of the very immoral uh, concepts of war or examples of war with the WMDs in Afghanistan, that whole thing. I would call that an immoral war. If, if, if 9-11 was an inside job, if, if, and getting us to go to war for that, where a bunch of young men and women lost their lives, that would be an immoral war. Would that be their fault? No, but the people who knew the truth and sent them to war, I would hope, 
are going to answer to God. And those people, like what Charlie was saying, I would hope that if they ever actually stood in front of God, they would feel a, a massive pit inside of them because it was it was immoral. But if you go to war because perhaps your country is being invaded or, or destroyed from the inside and you choose to go to war over that, that would be potentially a morally justified war. And I think that's kind of the differentiation. Forgiving debts, biblically, is said to do. But is there a line? If He, he said, what do you say? If, if, uh, if you get sued and you, and you take your tunic, he takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Okay. What if what if you get yeah. sued for that and then you get sued for something else and then you get sued for something else? And every time it's a wrongful oh. suit, is there ever a line where you're like, okay, no, I'm not dealing with this shit anymore? Yeah, yeah. And I think the video that I had sent kind of explained that because I know Ruth kind of, you know, brought some things up, but I yeah, I'll kind of reference back to that. Because a lot of that is cultural, which is why I love and value hermeneutics. Yeah, a lot of that is culture. All right, then we'll hit the video real quick. Ghost, do you have anything before uh, she she sent like a, it's like a two or no minute video? No, I'm curious. All right, let's do it then. Uh, da, 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 da. All right, so this is what turn the other cheek really means from that theology teacher. A human doormat. It's getting people a little bit uncomfortable so that they can think about the injustice taking place. And in the first example that Jesus gives us, it is probably the most misunderstood uh, directive that Jesus gives us in the New Testament. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on your right cheek, offer your other one, offer them your left. Uh, that's typically interpreted as walk away. Well, creative resistance isn't walking away, it isn't running away. So what exactly is Jesus saying when it comes to turn the other cheek? I'm going to demonstrate this to you using Sprocket the dog. Now, all of these situations involve um, a superior and an inferior, a soldier forcing a citizen, a, 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 someone suing you and you losing uh, the lawsuit. It could be a master and a slave. It could be an adult to a child. It could be a teacher to his pupil. It could be a husband to his wife. The proper way to reprimand an inferior is to take your right hand and with the back of your right hand, slap them across <laughs> the right cheek. That's how you reprimand inferiors. Jesus says, offer him your left cheek. So now with the left cheek, I'm in a different type of situation as the assailant. I could take my right hand and smack him. But the problem with that, a first century man doesn't fight that way. Men today don't fight that way. That's typically a way a woman fights. Sometimes you have to slap them in the face just to get their attention. So if a woman is disrespected, she might take her palm and smack you across the face. Men don't fight that way. Imagine Rocky Balboa slapping his opponent. You're better than that! I could take my left hand and backhand him on the left cheek like I did before with my right hand, but that's a social faux pas in first century Palestine. You don't, no matter what nationality you are, you don't raise your left hand above your belt. The left hand was considered a dirty hand. Okay, your left hand was only used for cleaning. It was only used for wiping yourself since they didn't have toilet paper. It would have been a cultural faux pas for me to write, to eat, to wave with my left hand in the first century. So certainly I'm not going to think about hitting this person, hitting my inferior with my left hand. The thought never would have crossed my mind. And if I did, I would be made fun of. Well, I have one option left. I could punch him. The problem is with this maneuver, with this hook maneuver, is that this is the way two equal men fight. This is not the way a superior would reprimand an inferior. This is the way two equal men fight. Even if I were to hit Sprocket, Sprocket's status has now been raised. And let's say I hit Sprocket and I knock him out. Even though he might be a KO on the ground, 
he still won the fight because he did, he came out of the fight with more dignity, with more status than what he had going into that fight. For a second or two, I didn't know how to fight. I was I was off my bearings. I was knocked off my feet a little bit. And that's an opportunity for Metanoye. And again, as if the enemy, if the assailant's not feeling it, maybe anybody watching the fight would. And one more way that Jesus dealt with his enemies was up on that cross in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If that's not a compassionate response to dealing with one enemy's... <laughs> I don't know what is. Interesting. I like that. That was good. That was good. I've never seen him before. Is he active or is this like an old old channel? It's very interesting. Feed your good wolf side, not your bad wolf side. So you cannot protect people at the expense of other people, though. That's true it's it's difficult when you get into the what are you protecting who from oh so wow so 61 percent said no we should not be pacifists and 38 that's way higher than i thought that makes you really happy actually i'm glad to see that i thought this is going to be very one-sided it's nice to see that it's not then sprocket to jail uh you cannot protect people at the expense of other people. Can you not? Is, isn't any act of... So, again, let's go to the, the obvious someone comes in my house. Cat's in my house. My daughter's in my house. They come into my house. So, let's say three men come in here with nothing but bad things they want to do. I, with all my love and wisdom and humility under God, get a gun and come downstairs and I shoot them all point blank in the face. Is that not at their expense? So I think true. But if they're an aggressor would be, you know, at least at least one potential way to justify that. I think there's a lot of cases where you protect someone at the expense of someone else. I think we just justify it. And I think maybe that's something that would need to be clarified. A lot of scenarios, actually, like the more I think about it, a lot of scenarios. NAP violations. Libertarianism enters the chat. The non-aggression principle. The non-aggression. Are you familiar? Uh, I've saw I saw some kind of reel on this at one point. No, if I Google it, will we get a good description? It's become a meme, but I doubt Google will give you a good description of it. It's just basically if we if none of us aggress against each other, everything's great. And you have a right to not be aggressed against. But oh, yeah. if someone yeah. aggresses against you, they give up their right to not be aggressed against. Yeah. So that's essentially what it is. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah, it's logical. It's, it's yeah, it it's the way it should be. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw, so I guess I've never seen anything serious on it. I think I saw somebody just kind of making a meme out of it yeah it's the non-aggression principle is really a synthesis of two ethical statements it is illegitimate for a human being to use aggressive violence against the person and property of another human being and it is legitimate for a human being to use defensive violence to protect person and property yeah i didn't know it had become a, like a whole thing that's funny that's yeah because funny. i mean the left 
like I don't know if you want to say the dirtbag left or just some some segment of leftism kind of made a meme out of it. I don't know why exactly. Like making fun of it without understanding that they were. Yeah. Like that it was yeah. legitimate. Interesting. Because it's just it's self evident. It's one of those things where it's like, sure, don't don't punch someone in the face if you don't want to be punched in the face. Yeah. Yeah. It's it seems self evident, which often gets lost for some people. Charlie Charlie did not vote in the poll, but I think the Christian should never be passive, but always attempt to be peaceful. You should never be passive. You're further than me. I think there are some scenarios where you should be passive. I think I think stupid things like Kat was explaining a time recently where I chose pacifism versus getting in this guy's face. Where whereas other times in years past, Kat's seen me do other things. Uh, I think there are times for pacifism, but as a as a general general i think going back to the war thing i don't think if i guess the non-aggression principle i think if you're aggressed against and it's substantial enough that there's any fear at all of your safety or or somebody's safety there shouldn't be a fear again i think you're justified in in performing some kind of violence i think they asked it's it's that's why we say they asked for it you asked for it. If you're willing to do that, you need to be willing to accept it. It kind of is just a self-evident kind of principle. It's not really that complicated. One day we will have to trade our I, I think for it's a sword. Why, why do you say that? Um, and, and to some degree, um, for example, I mean, maybe this is a Saturday topic, but I'm not a fan of, you know, people who are like supporting Texas with the barbed wire, like, oh, they asked for it. Yeah, no, no politics. Choose another example. No politics. Fine. Saturday fine, for sure. Fine, yeah, fine. No. Okay, fine. You break into my house. I totally okay. get it. I totally get it. Um, what's what's an example where somebody does violence to someone else, but it's not right to do violence to them? And both parties are innocent. They didn't, I mean, nobody effed his wife three years ago or effed his wife last week. There's no no wrong was done other than this right now. Uh-oh. Okay, I was thinking more of as as a parent, right? When someone like does something to your kid, um, well, that's justified, is it not? I don't know. Oh, Maybe if damn. you walk in, right? If you walk in on it, yes, legally, legally, and which I totally would say legality does not equal morality by far, one thousand percent. But apparently, if I don't walk in on it, and a child reports later, can you explain that one to me? Well, I I know I, I, I know where my mind goes. I know where my heart goes. But in terms of biblically, which my mind won't ever go there in the heat of it. But biblically, there is no way to answer the question. Is the honest answer? You you can you can gather a generalized understanding of what might be the right thing to do. But it's one of these things. Uh-huh. There's no direct anything. So you have to kind of. You gather it, which is kind of what I mean, it's what we're doing. So in in smaller offenses, personal offenses where somebody calls your kid a stupid shithead, like, no, you should not do anything about it. Maybe talk to them and just walk away. Pacifism. If somebody. Very careful language, if somebody touches my daughter in any way whatsoever, I will light them the fuck up, period, on principle, right? Apologetically, unapologetically. Okay, and this is whether you walk in on it or it's disclosed at a different time. 
it's a lot. So it it's obviously a little more complicated if it's later because you you kids sometimes say things that aren't true. So nah. yeah, they definitely do. There are times where kids have said things that are not true. Do I would say most kids telling something like that and there's no history of them lying or making up stories or anything. Like yeah, you should believe the kid 100%. But to say no child has ever lied about being hit by an adult or something is bullshit. That's definitely happened. So I'm all I'm saying is if you don't have proof, proof any way to prove it at all, it's a little more complicated. If somebody lied that I touched their kid and I never touched their kid and the dad came and tried to fight me, that would be a significant problem because I did not touch their kid and the kid was just a little shithead. That's possible. Maybe it's not the most likely scenario, but it's possible. Whereas if I walk in on someone touching my kid, there is no question at all. So the, the other one, there's some kind of question a little bit. I'm not saying, though, either, either way, my daughter doesn't lie. She would never just say something like that ever. So if I she see, did yeah, it, okay. I would absolutely do the same thing. Yes, it'd be no different. I might, in that scenario, try to take the legal route, honestly, because I didn't see it. It will fail you, just so that you know. What's I'm that? just going to say it's going to fail you if you take the legal route. That's why I'm I said saying. try. That's why I said try. Because that would be yeah. the first to at least try to do the quote unquote right thing. And also, again, big picture to protect myself and her because then I go to jail and then she, right. doesn't, she doesn't have a dad. So is that really still the right thing to do? Yeah, or, or that. Or that. Either way, is that the right move? Because you could become separate from your kids. So in order to try to save your child, now she doesn't have a father or a mother. Is that, that's why I, in these things, so you're right. Some of these things do become complicated, for sure. I think one of the things that kind of comes to mind is um, when Jesus was betrayed, you know, for the silver. This isn't like the the joke that we have on Discord with the whole Holy Spirit Judas thing. Um, But um, seriously speaking, right, where um, is it Peter? who gets the sword and he's upset, right? Because they're there to take his Messiah. Understandably so, justifiably so, right? They're going to take away his Messiah. They're there to kill him. I believe it's justified. And he gets the sword. He cuts off the soldier's ear. And in the mix of, in my opinion, justification for the act is Jesus actually proposes something else and says like, hey, you know, let's not do that. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And why this was a priority of Jesus, I I will never fucking know. Um, But apparently, you know, he cared enough to find the soldier's ear, you know, in the dark, because we know it was in the dark, probably, you know, on his hands and knees, sifting through the the leaves or whatever to try to find this man's ear and gently put it on him. So. I don't know, I kind of think of that. Scenario a lot also when it comes to pacifism yeah i think that's a valid thing to think about yeah it's i mean it's it's a it's a scenario that's used a lot in like anti-pacifism the die by the sword is it greater than other indications of of war or violence i i I mean i think a lot of people yeah yeah but I think a lot of people kind of use it the same way, right? Like Peter thought he was trying to protect his Messiah. Aren't a lot of these religious wars based on the same thing? Well, he was protecting. I mean, I get what you're saying. But so so the the biggest thing for me with that specific section of scripture is that he's protecting literally God. And he's protecting him in a physical manner. 
So then this takes you into La La Land of Theology, where what would have happened, or is it possible for it to happen, if Christ was killed during some skirmish that Peter started? What, what are the theological implications? And it takes you down a million different rabbit holes of theology. Well, is it possible yeah. for Christ to die outside of what was planned for him? Is there, is there a free agency in that? Or was that all predetermined? Blah, 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 blah. So I, it gets really complicated because of that. But I think that also really simplifies the, the passive concept of it. Is, right. is That was in a very specific scenario with the literal human form of the deity. So perhaps it's not what all of the concept of pacifi, pass, of pacifism should be based on because it was very, very, very specific and included the deity itself. Uh, it's tough though. Either way, it's tough. It's a, it's a hard one to try to to try to pull the concept of, of being passive or not being passive from that alone is really tough to me. I, personally. I agree. No, yeah. Like I said, I think about it. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I did not, and I don't even have it in the notes. So that that was I'm, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, so you guys are spinning me right now. Christians should never be passive, but always attempt to be peaceful. And then what do you say after that? Only reason I didn't vote is because pacifism implies doing nothing rather than refusing to be violent. Isn't pacifism technically refusing to be violent? Isn't that what our definition was? Pacifist is a person who believes that war and violence are unjustifiable. That's a, that's a choice, though. That's an active motion to choose against I war. What were you going to say, Rodriguez? No, I think the other question I have is a lot of this we need to understand, right, is context. Context is key, right, which is why I kind of brought up hermeneutics earlier. And unfortunately, especially when it comes to the Old Testament, a lot of this is based in theocracy. So I guess the concern that I have is taking things that are descriptive and using them as prescriptive for the United States and war or, or other countries in war. We're, we're, we're not a theocracy. Those promises, those um you know so take that, that out just morality what about just morally so take take the u.s out specifically and take theocracy out and just war against morality is should christians as a you know in a general sense even though we're all different in a general sense biblically without theocracy without specifically the united states should we be pacifists in a wartime where we feel we are on the objective moral side or not? I think we always feel that. I, I think that's another problem in of itself. We yeah. always think we're right. We never think that Agreed. God is on a different side, which I'm not even going to get into that. But but, that, but um, then could he be? Could he be? Because if God was on a different side, it means we're we're following the wrong God. Well, he, yeah, I think right? the problem is, is that it's not a matter of us following God, I think we seem to be under the, you know, belief that God, that we are always right and God is on our side as opposed to, you know, we are, we are being on God's side. So I, I don't think totally there's much. Agree. Yeah, I totally um, agree. And I 100%. hate saying that, but. It's um, the damn truth though. Yeah, it's, it's God is on our side. And that's, that's, I mean, the, the cold, hard reality is that the outside of the non-essentials, which are most of it. But the difference right. is between non-denominational, or and I'm sorry, the difference is between different denominations of Christianity, including Orthodox and like Catholicism. Most of way, way, way far most 
of the the differences are non-essential, so they don't really matter. But there are some there are some you could argue are essential to separate us. And God can't be on all of our side with all of those things. So that, right. And the, the the truth is probably nobody has it because there's too many variations now, and everybody's everybody's put God on their right. side with too many little different things. So the statistical probability is that nobody has it all right. So God really technically isn't on anybody's side. So that's especially what, in the realm of politics and um, it's one thing for sure. Yeah. But I think morality is one too, because I mean, politics trickles right. down from a moral concept. Uh, it should all, all of it. Yeah. But it does. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether it's your morals or mine because they're all different now, which, which takes you back to the war thing. And then what is the war based off of? Well, objective morality. Well, what exactly does that mean? Because even within Christianity, we don't necessarily agree on what objective morality is anymore. So, like, I think the problem, which I've kind of voiced in the Discord before, is which is why I don't, I try my best to not stand behind any politician, like ever. Um, because if we kind of like hold up the the mirror of scripture, right, in terms of qualifications, um, really no one is kind of upholding that standard. Um, and I think because of that, we really need to kind of question and maybe be a little bit more introspective in terms of politics on when it when it comes to like whose side, excuse me, is God really on? Sorry, I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> you're good. I, I think either way, uh, you're going to fail, though. You're going to fail. E even the even within Christianity alone, we don't agree. So how would we agree then with people right. outside of it? I, th I think it's an impossible thing. I think it's not, there's no world in which that ever happens outside of some magical event that happens like the second coming where all of a sudden we're split in two where there, there are the unbelievers and there are the believers and the believers are all totally on the same page because Jesus is down here and like, you get, you're all fucking wrong. Here's what it is. Are we all, we all good now. And then we all are like, yes, we're good. And then the other people are just on the other side. I think until something that dramatic happens, that separates us in two, no more than two. I think this will never change. That's that's. I mean, that's my opinion. But I, I don't see I mean, any logical conclusion. Fair. That's probably fair. Yeah, we're probably all going to be served. All of us are going to be served a huge piece of like humble pie, yeah. a couple pies for sure. Um, for sure. I just hope that we're kind of willing, you know, to accept that in a place of humility. But that's anyways, it. <laughs> yeah. That's I'll it. <laughs> Thanks, Rodriguez. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Those are all good points, actually. Uh, the po the political thing is very tough, guys. It's very very tough. I uh I I think the best you can hope for is a bunch of people who see a lot of things different, but like Christianity and denominations, where politically we can all get on enough of the same page, where we can like run the country in a cohesive manner. I just, I think perhaps it's too far gone, but this is a Saturday topic. Uh, so I want to go back to this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Protect your own before protecting others. They literally tell you this before you take off on a plane. <laughs> Fair enough. Light instruction, non-political hypothetical. This is what I want. Non-political hypothetical is locking your doors and bringing and barring your windows considered aggression. I feel like that is a, not a trick question, but I feel like you are poking, poking ideologies with a stick. 
I, I, the obvious answer is no, it is not. It is defensive. It is the opposite of aggression. But I can definitely see people in the world see locking your doors as a sign of aggression. I could definitely see it. Charlie said, Charlie, it's been very lovely to have you, just so you know. Um, you've not added post very Richard much to Ramirez. this. Wait, wait, say again. Uh, Richard Ramirez, no, he literally said that God, or I'm sorry, I can't believe I said that. Satan told him which doors to open and which were unlocked. So, Who yeah, this? I know that. Richard Ramirez, the night stalker. Oh my God. I'm Ugh. serious. I mean, I believe that you're serious. I just no he, one remembers that. He said, "Okay, that well, I'm he, doing Okay, but, all right. I got. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I don't remember. Oh yeah, this. I don't it's remember. Like even on on Netflix, but Richard Ramirez, yeah, he literally said Satan told him which doors um, were unlocked and and started attacking people there. You know, from oh. there on out. And then oh well, I mean, I I don't doubt that. I think there are people who are. I mean, may, maybe he was a little psychotic, but I mean, I I don't know. It's again like that's a different topic too, but I I, I believe it yeah, yeah. in a way. I yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. It's a it's a good question, ghost, but it's it's poking ideology. I I get what you're doing. I see you. I like it. Raquel, don't know, but pacifism is kind of unbiblical. Now that I ponder about it with you guys, Charlie has a point in that it implies inertia, passivity. Don't forget, Jesus turned the tables at the temple. Uh, oh yeah, I said, what was that violent? What if an intruder wants my, <laughs> wants my snacks? A truly violent act. Bada bing. At the end of the day, it's an ideology, spiritual war. Yeah. Yep. A truly violent act, but out of outrage because of the thievery in the middle of his father's house. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't see it as violent. I don't see it as violent. It's aggressive. But I don't see it as violent. But maybe I'm functioning off of an improper definition of violence. I get maybe that's something I need to look at. My my conceptual understanding of violence requires physical touch. But that, I guess you know now that I say it out loud, that's actually not necessarily true. Nowadays, in the past it was. Now it's not. Drones don't require that. Bullets don't require that. Ninja throwing stars don't require that. So maybe I need to reevaluate. Is hacking a server violent? Again, I would say no, but it's aggressive. But maybe, you know, now you're making me wonder. What is the actual definition of violent? Behaving involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone or something. Strength of emotion. Or, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Strength of emotion or an unpleasant or destructive natural force. I mean... Yeah, but I think this means so much more in 2024, where my words are now violent. Uh, so behaving invol behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone. I don't know. Can hacking be seen as violent? Is it physical force? Is it What if they steal all your money, therefore steal all your food by proxy? But can we do definitions like that? Because then can't. Doesn't that open up a lot of doors that we probably don't want well, to open? I think... I think we live in a time where AI and in, in the digital world is more prominent than it ever was. So we're going to have to rethink a lot of these definitions that were written before these things existed. You're not wrong. You're not you know, wrong. yeah. We need to revamp the whole thing. 
Oh God, that's a terrifying thought. That's absolutely because think about it like this: What are the end results? Oh, go ahead. No, all I said it was yay, ghost. I completely agree with you on that. We got to read. Oh, sweet. No, no, no. (laughs) See, this is what I'm scared of, because I think, I think, I think part of part of society wants to reevaluate definitions in a way that again, totally, totally personal, totally just me arrogance selfishness all i think we want to re reevaluate the definitions of words to make communication fucking impossible excuse my language but to make talking to each other impossible which i feel like we've already done well this is this is a thing i think we all have to have the same goal If, if the goal is we have to come to an agreement about what these words mean not because we want to gain power but because we want to know but we and don't. if someone hacks your bank account, takes your money, therefore you cannot eat, does it matter if they physically touched you because their intention was violent? No. So I agree with you on this one. I, I'm 100% with you. I, I, I think as AI and as uh, just as networks become something that can take from you physically, like, yeah, I completely agree. My worry is that we've already begun to redefine words and it has not been a good thing. It's been a very, very and bad that's thing. only for power. That's Tr- the thing. True, like, but the re- that's reality. So you're saying if we're yeah. all on the same page and have the same intentions, sure, but we don't live in that world. That's what scares no. me about it. Because I agree with you 100, percent and it scares the absolute shit out of me. I feel you completely. But but you're right. There's what? no other way of doing it. It's going to have to happen, Rodriguez. No, I was just going to say I don't know that it's completely all for power. Some of it I think is legit miscommunication. Some of it. So I think Ghost and I are kind of we're I think we're telepathically referencing some of the same things. One of the one of the ones, but I think some of some of it I think is probably miscommunication. I think a lot of it is definitely for power. One example is when the Biden administration changed the definition of the word recession. It's it's actually defined a different way now because he put us in a recession and they didn't want to admit that. And I'm heavily in the financial game. I, it's it's a huge part of my life, hours and hours a day, and and that was a wild thing. the The entire financial world was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Because every single accountant, every single CPA, CFA, they had gone through their entire school, their entire career with one definition of what a recession was, and then all of a sudden, Biden puts us in a recession. Doesn't want to be in a recession, so they literally changed the definition of the word. That's just one example, but there are a lot if you think culturally. And again, we're not going politics or cultural, but just very bland, very general. There are other examples of things that perhaps, Rodriguez, you might agree with. I might not. Ghost might not. I don't know. But there, there are things ideologically that have kind of been redefined. And depending on which side of the aisle you're on, that you either think that's a really good thing, which if, if you agree with those things, you're like, yeah, hell yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And other people are like, no, hell no, that's terrible. That's scary. That's kind of what I'm saying. So that I mean, depends on who you are. Yeah. And and Joe, I, I love you and I highly respect you, but you can't give a political example. Say, hey, we're not going to get into politics. But um, well, I gave I mean, a financial will... example. It's fine. I get it. Okay, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> I'm still of the belief that politics and religion is the same thing. So I agree. Separating them is saying, silly. I'm not saying that they're like not related. I just think 
the problem is when you well never mind never mind but um no not never mind the problem is when you <laughs> yeah go off is, you're good is when it comes in, into like um superiority and inferiority and you know god being on one side versus god being on another and that's that's where it gets really problematic when it comes to politics and people aren't necessarily open-minded or willing to hear any other ideas i think the truly problematic part is there's no way to prove who's right because i let's say i am the oppressor and rodriguez you are the oppressed and i am a christian and you are a christian and I can validate everything I say with the Bible and you can validate everything you say with the Bible. That's kind of the reality we live in. So then what do you do? And this is why I have this, I'm, I'm the most positive person you'll ever meet, but when, and you guys probably don't think so, cause we all talk about this shit. But when it comes to things like this, I am the most cynical person in the world because I don't see any possible way out. Well, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, I don't know that, you know, the church, you know, overall has really delivered anything that helps you believe otherwise. Um, but I don't even think it's that. I mean, I ditched the church many years ago, even even as a total independent um, in, in to outside of politics. But if you include politics, I, I've been all over the spectrum, wildly Democratic and liberal and now now wildly, you know, oh, Republican. Really? Yeah, I've said that before. Yeah, I for the well, longest time I, I didn't. I know I come off as I feel like I'm the one who comes off as like the anti everything any Christian says, which is weird because I, technically I'm actually pretty conservative biblically. I guess just not politically. Yeah. Um which which some people are, but I, it, that just kind of goes to push the point even further. Is wh- where do you go from there? Where do you go if, if even within Christianity? Because it kind of like Ghost Ghost said it, and he says it often, is that you 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 truly cannot separate religion and politics. They they are almost synonymous. Right? There are obvious differences, but politics cannot function without a religious basis. Whether you admit it or not, and whether you believe in a specific deity or not, it's all fueled by religion. It's just what is your religion? Yeah, again, it doesn't yeah, have to have a deity. It's the roots of it's your belief that of everything politics of everything. and that, that I will say is true. Um, unfortunately, like I, like I've always said before, I think you just have to play by the rules of politics. So, you know, you guys have heard me use the example of abortion, you know, and just trying to play by the rules of, you know, trying to press the issue of when does life begin and kind of going that route, which I think is something we're just not really good at. Um, now, how that works with war, it's, I think, a little bit more challenging. Because if we're completely honest, there's a lot of Bible verses that can be pro and anti this war. What what war, I guess? Iran? What do you mean what war? Well, there's a lot of uh, wars sure. going on right now. There is, all of them. Let's just, let's just do that. So is war, so like going back to is war justified or not, just in a general sense? No, I don't know that. I'm not saying that part, but this in this scenario specifically, let's leave Russia and Ukraine out of it and just kind of going on. Let's see what's going on with Hamas and Israel, because that's kind of the highlight, you know, in terms of theocracy goes. 
Um, I think that's that one's a little rough. Like I said, there's a lot of verses that can be pro and anti. Would they this war. would they not apply to a different war though? That's fair. That's fair. But in terms of like, I know there's a lot of people who take scriptures literally. I mean, the word Israel is literally in the Bible, not whereas talking. in Russia. But they're not huh? talking about this Israel. I don't mean to cut. I'm sorry. I, I'm aware. You know, I, mean, I'm I know aware. you don't, but that's what they, those people think. They think they're talking about Israel right now. And the Bible is not. Huh? The, you got, everybody needs to remember every bit of the right. Bible was written with the assumption that none of us would exist. That it's, I don't, sorry about your feelings, but nobody writing the Bible <laughs> thought that any of us would ever exist. They didn't think my grandma would or her great grandma or her great, 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 great grandma. They thought this shit was going to be over way before any of us. So I hate hearing about all that shit, pulling it from the Bible. You can do it. And I mean, I could be so dead ass wrong, but just exegetically, it's absolute trash. It's garbage. Hey, Joe, Agreed. could you Agreed. send me some stuff on that? Because I don't know. What do you, where do what? you get that? Where, where do you get they didn't think that we'd be here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's all over the epistles. I can put some stuff together like for you. Like the book of Acts. I mean, Th those, Thessalonians. You know. Yeah, Acts does it. Thessalonians. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest problems in the Thessalonian church was the whole congregation, one, thought that people had already, that Jesus' second coming had already happened. They were terrified. There was a massive problem. And beyond that, there's writers in the New Testament, Paul and Acts, and then in Thessalonians too, talks about how it hasn't come, but it's coming very soon. And he's talking within the context of what the congregants were worried about, which was in their lifetime. There's a, there's a lot of indications. So I'll, I can put some stuff together and send it to you. Yeah. And that it conflicts with a lot of, you know, the end times theories and stuff, which is why I'm such a massive cynic on all that stuff, which I know you're super into. So yeah, let me, uh, I'll put a bunch of stuff together uh, and... Maybe we get into that soon. That would be interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, Enoch alluded to there being a very distant generation. So that's different than the actual apostles, though. But what no, does that I, mean? I know. But what does that mean? What right. Is, what is distant? They, even in the New Testament, they talk about you know a similar verbiage. What does that mean, though? I mean, that could be three generations. That's one of those things that I'm not solid on. I, I have no idea. It's because we don't have enough. Is it, in my, my understanding? On, on everything mm -hmm. I've ever seen is that we just, there's, there's, there's no nothing. So it's all becomes like assumption. I, I'm very open to being wrong. Just to be clear, I'm super open to being wrong. And I, and I'm not like, I have a problem with revelation. I have a problem with kind of more of the, more of the spiritual. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say right. it. I have like a very, and it's, it's a flaw. It's totally a flaw, but I have a very like acad academic. And I mean, like, text academic view of the bible and understanding of the bible and the outside text so it's it's all like just academic breakdown and i have a, a really hard time putting too much weight on numerology i love it i find it super interesting but i have a hard time, i have a hard time putting weight on it because i feel like a lot of the just very blatant academic things kind of make it irrelevant but then i get shown certain things and i'm like damn that's kind of a good point and then i gotta think about it but i i just i haven't been swayed yet but maybe that would be a really good thing to do i mean maybe next thursday we make an executive call and we gather as much information we can about I don't know, i'll figure out how to word it but basically the people during the time of jesus during the time of paul during the time of the writing of the of the bible and maybe even includes some of the early apocrypha 
Um, but to keep it simple, just the Bible, the canon. Did they think that there would be many generations? Or did they think that perhaps Jesus was coming within their lifetime? Because I'm definitely on that side. And uh, right. there's, there's obviously a lot of people that disagree. But does that matter? It matters a lot for interpretation. And in my opinion, it matters a lot. It, it takes out oh. any, any, any interpretation of, of does that was this for us today? It removes it entirely. General principles, values, okay. Christian beliefs for Christians. Like, yeah, that applies. But so anything in terms pointed. Of descriptive versus is it prescriptive? Right? I mean, kind of, kind of. I, I think basically, like, if, if the people during the time of Jesus or the writing of the New Testament thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, I mean, another example is like the, the Thessalonians too, where they were living a certain way out of fear that that was going to happen while they were alive. There's, there's a lot of indications just contextually where people were doing or behaving certain ways in the moment because they feared that the second coming was going to happen like in the moment, like while they were still living and breathing. The implications right. of that are that. wide. Sorry, what? No, I think we still do that today, which I, I don't think it's, it's, I don't know that it's healthy because I feel like it's kind of more fear-based. We've always um, done that, which is part of why I'm a yeah. pessimist about it and why I'm like not someone fun to talk to about like end time stuff. Cause I'm like every, Fair. everybody thought. And then on the other hand, I'm like, Jesus Christ, everything looks real fucked up right now. Maybe it is the end times. But again, everybody, in my opinion, starting back to mm. when Jesus just died that he was coming right. back in my, in my opinion. Right. But I think, uh, I mean, we're way off topic, so let, let's get back and then wrap up, but let's do this. Let's do that. Cause I think that'd be really interesting. So ghost, if you want to start gathering kind of the, the opposing view, um, Mikhail. Well, I'm I don't sure know if know it's some. too, I don't know if it's too opposing. I just think like the, the Strauss, how generational theory could be an explanation for why everyone thinks this it's because we go through this cycle for centuries like it repeats it's just now that's repeating on a global scale and there's nowhere else to go now you know it used to repeat in small settlements and then in cities and then in states and countries but now it's global so where do we go what's bigger than the globe um that's the way i see it so what Okay, one question, and then let's rein it in, because now I want to talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. what, but what, why would it need to continue to grow? I don't know if it needs to, but it has. We, if we look back at history, we can see how it started small, and now it's global, so. But, I mean, we started with no ability to be global, and now we've reached absolute global reach. So, I mean, mm -hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't we just, wouldn't that just be the end? Within, yes, precisely. Within our, our understanding of reality, like that would be the end. But does that mean like Jesus was coming back? Is that the is that the idea? I I think so. Yeah, because there's nowhere to expand, uh, so to speak, without without us all just wiping each other off the face of the earth. And you don't think that's a viable possibility? I do, but it says no flesh would be saved unless he returns. So I think that's we're at that moment where. It, wiping everyone out is possible it was never possible before but now it is yeah yeah so that's what's in the back of my mind is it theologically possible for you 
yeah because i i have weird beliefs about <laughs> jesus and stuff so yeah, yeah no, it's super possible I, I feel you yeah i think the the only possible way around it i guess is interstellar right yeah but if we're if we can't define what a woman is we're not going to the stars you know what i'm saying fair point so fair point but uh okay yeah i want to i want to do that let's do that <laughs> did you say oh no yeah i was like we're not supposed to get political no, we're not. He dropped it. We're done. Uh, all right. Let me. I'm gonna run through the chat real quick. If there's, I think I missed some stuff. Char, as people were saying about Charlie, oh Ruth, if you're not gone but you're leaving, good, glad to have you. You brought some good stuff up tonight. Uh, okay, maybe this is dumb, but I have a hard time finding a way to say it's possible to kill as a loving act, especially in something like war. Bit different in immediate defense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. If if somebody was threatening this whole country, I honestly would feel very similar to how I feel about my family. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a patriot, um, but I, I guess like maybe by definition I would fall in that category. But I I have a lot of pride for for what America was with all of its massive wild faults. But when compared to to other places, I think we didn't do it right. But I think we set a foundation of something that could have become something incredible. And I think it did, but it, but it still had massive, massive, massive drawbacks. But if, if we could have done certain things different, again, without getting political, if we could have done certain things different and avoided certain things, uh, I, I just take a lot of pride in what America was and could be still. So, so the point is, I think if somebody came in and threatened if we were doing everything, because it's my opinion, my fantasy land, if America was living the way that I think is moral and the way that I think it should, and somebody came over here, another country came over here and threatened to take all of that away, enslave all the women, take all the kids, sell them into slavery, whatever, I think it would be a loving act to kill all of them, every single one. Who is a part of the threat? Innocent women and children, obviously no. But... Anybody who's a part of threat, I do see that as a loving act. So I, I differ from you there, Charlie. But I, but I get what you're saying. I can understand the view for sure. I'm so sorry. I missed part of that. You were saying that you would understand the backlash of it? N no. No. I, w I was saying mm -hmm. I understand his view. That he doesn't believe. Uh, he said I had a hard time finding a way to say it's possible to kill as a loving act especially in something like war. I was saying that if America was uh -huh. absolutely just in every way and we didn't ever behave now or in the past in any way that was immoral, but were founded on morality, behaved only morally, and then another country came over here and tried to take it all away and sell you into slavery, cat into slavery, take my kid and save her into slavery, I would feel it as a loving act to put a bullet through every single one of their heads, personally. You don't think it's a just act? Yeah, just would be my word, but based on his context, he used the, he used the word loving. In terms of the other, in terms of, I guess, maybe the so-called enemy, enemy in this circumstance. Because, what, I mean... What hands, they were doing? Or what do you mean? The blood, the blood on their hands, there's blood on their hands, right? So if those people whose blood is actually on their hands actually came back, Came back. I mean, I mean, if they came here at all, with the intention okay. or after beginning, right to overthrow, 
yeah, I, I would I would see it as a loving act to protect everybody who is here. But don't you think they would see it as a loving act also? I, I don't know. I mean, in the hypothetical, I have no idea what their intentions are. They could just be coming to rape and pillage. I have no idea. But I, 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 possibly, yeah, hypothetically, maybe. He, but isn't I mean, that what America did? Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. I, I was very specific no. to say if America was perfect in every possible way, absolutely moral, absolutely just, and absolutely tied to God in morality, I would see it as a loving act to kill anybody who tried to come take it away. And I, honestly, for me, it doesn't matter if they feel justified in it or not. That's, and that's the, what we were talking about earlier, where that's, that's the difficult part about war is usually, you not definitely not always, some parties know they're doing something immoral. They just enjoy it. There are sick people. But a lot of the time, if it's religious specifically, both parties believe that they are doing the moral and just thing. So, but that doesn't right. change. That changes nothing for me because I believe what I believe about us. And if we were morally right with God, I don't care what they believe. I don't, I don't believe in Allah. So I don't care if you believe you're doing what you're doing with Allah. You're coming here and you're going to take and, and murder everybody here. I feel completely loving in doing it back. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, 100%. 100 I think regardless of kind of their view. Charlie, see the case of Hamlet's Queen Gertrude. I could have worded blah, blah, blah. All right. Satan is the key master from The Matrix. I have had it on a list to rewatch The Matrix. But I haven't seen it since I was like very young. Thanks, Joe. I think we all need to rewatch The Matrix. I'm totally, yeah, it's been on a lot. I'm going to have my kid watch it with me. Oh, Charlie, you've been around for a while. What's well, good to see? If you're interested, Charlie, there is a link at the top of the chat. Join the Discord. That's where all of these lovely people that you're talking to uh, spend their time. Yeah, you've brought a lot, so I'm really glad you decided to come in. It's been good. Is it safe to say that violence requires physical damage? Yeah, see, that's what we were talking about. That was really interesting. Because Ghost brought up that perhaps in the past, perhaps not. I mean, definitely not in the future. I think the definite, the understanding of the definitions or the understanding of the words are changing. So I think the way they're defined has to change. Uh, Charlie, I would say violence involves physical and emotional damage. Ah, I have such a hard time with the emotional damage bit of violence. I feel like there are other words we can use just because I feel like it's been abused by ideology. One other thing, don't have a source on hand. Sorry, I haven't really heard of any very early church fathers that thought war or violence was okay for Christians. Have you heard of any church fathers that thought war was not okay for Christians? Would be the question back. There is, though, there is a link I have here. I have not been able to vet it properly, but I believe it has some commentary on tonight's topic using, I think, I, I, we didn't talk about it because I wasn't, I didn't have time to go through it, but I think it's commentary on what we're talking about tonight from some old church fathers. I could be wrong. So if I'm wrong, you know, sorry, but the link I just put in the chat, I believe there is some of that in there. So if you're interested, check that out. I think violence is a type of wrong. Something could be wrong and nonviolent at the same time. If we define violence beyond just physical, then we are kind of just saying violence equals wrong. 
I like that. Yeah. That's kind of my problem with it is the emotional bit. I, I, I see where people say like you can be emotionally violent towards somebody. I wish that we would choose a different way to express it because now that's being abused. And now people are confusing uh, being mean to somebody with being violent. And perhaps one somebody should suffer a consequence for, and perhaps one you should not be a little bitch about and move on. But that's just me and all of. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree because I feel like it would kind of be an injustice to people who've actually endured physical exactly. violent exactly. harm. Um, like, yeah, let, let's kind of be mindful and respectful of that. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's my problem. A hundred percent. Yes, their perspective interpretation. Do, do, do. Typing on an iPad is trash, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Got to get one of them little keyboards, man. Oh, you have the keyboard. Oh, no, he just said to get it. Oh, I don't know. I have a keyboard for like my Samsung tablet thing. It's not bad. It's pretty all right. Oppenheimer. The problem with war, though, Joe, is defining who is part of the threat in war. Are the factory workers part of the threat? Well, that's the hard part. I mean, so historically, you see it go two different ways, right? You have a war where more of the passive members of the opposing side are spared and brought into the culture of the winning side and are kind of integrated into society. That happens. And you also see the opposite, where the passive people, say warehouse workers or the women who knit the clothes or the kids who are just going to school trying to grow up and be alive, are all killed. It, I don't know. I like the first version best, where you, you just take out the actual aggressors and then you integrate the, the innocent, if you will, into society, whether with the, I don't, it gets complicated, but that's, it's one, it's, it's one or the other, you know, if all you have left are women and children, you're not repopulating with that demographic alone. If they're different demographics, you have to integrate them into a society with males to be able to reproduce and have an actual society. So I don't know. And that's another really good question. It's a really good question. Someone invades your home and poses violence to those in their homes. It's simple. They got to go. We watched The Matrix, Joe. When? When did we watch The Matrix? No, we watched uh, We watched the, the Thought Police. Shit, what's it called? The Thought Police movie. We did not watch The Matrix. I promise you we did not. It was, uh, oh, it's going to kill me. No, we did not. She's yelling at me from downstairs. No, we didn't. What's the movie with the thought police where they, they, the thought crime, they know you're going to commit a crime. So they, they like fall on you and God damn it. I don't remember what it's called, but it ain't the matrix. I love it. I'm right. I'm going to come downstairs and prove to you that I'm right. It feels I forgot so I had a mic. It's minority report. It's minority report. Thank you. We watch minority report cat. Go Google a Matrix clip. We did not watch it. All right. Anyways, they desire a one-way ticket to shield. Mistaking the Minority Report for the Matrix is like that's low. I, They're both I, great movies, though. I believe I will agree, but I honestly don't remember enough of the Matrix. I think what year did the Matrix come out? Ninety-nine. Was it nine? Okay, I think I saw it in maybe two thousand one. 
so it's very. Oh, you definitely have to rewatch because yes. it's yeah, yeah. It, it's all come true, right? Or it's all beginning to fill out. I think it came true several thousand years ago, but I mean that's me. Oh God, we got to get into that. What what was the movie we were going to do movie night with? I was trying to find it because I had a note somewhere. Do you remember we were talking about doing that? The that was the culture war. Or a movie? Shoot, no, you're right. You're right. That's exactly what it was. It could be a movie. It should be. I hope they make a movie. Yeah. All right, yeah, that's what it was. Because I want to try to plan that soon. And maybe we do The Matrix uh, after that. That'd be dope. I think, yeah, that'd be cool. All right. Um, Charlie, also, just uh, join the Discord, man. Because we do movie night. Or we're going to. We've done it once before. It was pretty cool. All right, let's see. Floof. Should we consider Jesus' betrayal an act of love because Jesus is dying on the cross is an act of love in itself, and Judas facilitated it? Theological. Can't get into it. It's kind of it's it, it's a good question. It's the it's kind of like what Rodriguez brought up with the sword. It's it becomes a very theological question, and not so much a is this true or should we do this or. It's highly, highly, highly theological. I would love to talk about it because that's, I mean, that's stuff that I get into super deep all day. It's the philosophical side of Christianity. But there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot there. It's very, very interesting. The intention matters. Yeah, intention definitely matters. I mean, outcome would matter in the case of that, though, don't you think? Ghost in the case of the cross and Judas' betrayal. Then, I mean, Jesus would have to die, right? That's well, it depends right? on who. It depends on who planned the death. Why on a cross? Why on a pole or a tree? As a curse, all those things from the Old Testament matter. Yeah, no, for sure. So it's complicated. It's very complicated. Very. I'd like to know how you think it's our near future, ghost. What was that in reference? We were referring to Minority Report, and I said, I think it's our near future. Ah, gotcha. Well, do you want to give a quick, or you want to save it? Well, I, well was... I, I said because tech only moves in one direction, and it's momentum. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Quote from Tertullian, only without the sword can the Christian wage war. The Lord has abolished the sword. Found a number of others that do seem very anti-war and violence. So mainly the tech part. Oh, she said mainly the tech part. Tech is a byproduct of will. Everyone should watch Dark City, Minority Report. I haven't seen Dark City. Cat, make a note of Dark City, please. Please and thank you. But if, okay, if you guys are going to watch Dark City, you have to watch the director's cut, not the theatrical. Okay, Cat, make note, please. Make a note. It's, it's important. Director's cut of Dark City. All right, we'll do it. Um, Charlie, Where do we watch? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. You're probably going to have to pay to rent it. I have it. Probably, yeah, you'll probably have to pay to rent it. Especially if you need a director's cut, you're probably going to have to pay to rent it. Uh, or, or there are other ways of commandeering these things. Uh, Charlie, I, so I, I, I hear you on the, the quote you gave. I, I would say just off the off top of my head, moment of honesty, 
from memory only. I do think that I do think most of the church fathers, if you will, the older theologians did seem to be more on the anti-war side than on the pro-war side. As much as it doesn't please me from memory, I think it does lean that way. But I know for sure there are some prominent theologians that are very much that were very, very, very much for war. So it's definitely not a one sided thing. That would also be an interesting thing to aggregate all all mentions of war from any theologian that had any weight behind him that we have on record. It would, it would probably take you, you know, several days of a couple hours a day and put all that together. I, you know, that'd be really interesting to see. Intimidating, coercing, and causing harm or distress, verbal, financial, online, institutional, and psychological. Scott, does, was that a definition or was that your definition? If that was yours, that was pretty well done. Minority Report. You watched the thought crime one with your other girlfriend. Oh my God. You're going you're gonna to die on this hill now? Or we definitely didn't watch The Matrix. I will die on this hill. Because I'm very prideful. One more from Clement of Alexandria. About 200 years after Jesus, above all, Christians are not allowed to correct by violence, sinful wrongdoing. So my, my, my response to that would be, why? Based on what? Based on what? And what they're going to do is they're going to pull the same verses from the Bible that we looked at. And they're just going to interpret them the way that they want to interpret them. That's, but that's what everybody does. That's what I do, too. That's what everybody does. I had a few others here uh, real quick. I'll just read them and then we'll, I, I got to go. We, we always do this. It's two hours long. Uh, verse 9 in First uh, Peter 3. Uh, the whole section, suffering for righteousness sake. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires love. And then he goes on. This, this has been used. Just, just verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Is that enough? Outside of writing two paragraphs of commentary with your subjective eisegesis in there. I, I personally don't think so. No. And then verse 2 out of Titus 3, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Starts with, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And then he goes on. Is it enough? Especially, especially Titus, honestly, within context. Is it enough? I No, not, not even close. But that, that would be my problem if you will with that's really easy to say it's it's much harder to prove why with an objective source assuming the bible is objective to you i struggle with even that if we're being honest the only time i ever watched the matrix was with you god i'm gonna lose my mind oh no i took wrong pill i would say god's will manifests through both intentionality vessels and outcomes beneficiary for me they both count as God's will. That's interestingly put. Women have better memories, I believe, Cat. Screw you. We'll see. We'll see. 
We'll see. God, if I'm wrong, I'll have to eat this so hard. Charlie said, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Mikel, the heart and the outcome both matter. Yeah, Mikel has great takes. Your honesty is always refreshing. And yeah, you are you are right that plenty of theologians, Augustine Aquinas, I think, are totally in favor of just war of just war. Yeah, but it, it's it's a beautiful representation of like I say this all the time. If if theologians, the greatest, smartest theologians that literally they'd never had sex, they they didn't have phones, they never watched YouTube, they didn't have TVs, they had nothing to do at all distracting them. They had no kids. All they did their entire freaking life was read the Bible and read other literature to add context to the Bible. If these dudes cannot agree on things in the Bible, why the fuck would we? And why would any of us feel so arrogant to say the Bible says this? How stupid do you have to be? Like how just absolutely incredibly ignorant as a human being walking this earth, would you have to be to think that you know better than dudes who literally did nothing but breathe, eat, sleep, and read the Bible? It's, it's literally insane. It's, it's fucking wild. It's wild. Rachel, interesting fact about the uh, palm branches laid on the ground as Jesus passed on a donkey. Did I miss something? Paul, did you watch the Matrix with Cat or his other girlfriend? We'll have to ask the other girlfriend. It is nine o'clock. The Palm Branch has represented a revolutionary leader that liberated the Rachel. I recognize you now. Now I know. I'm like Rachel. It's good to see you. Great drop, too. Great drop. Good stuff right there. Great place to end. All right. If you are watching this later, recorded, I hope you had a lovely time. I did not watch The Matrix with Cat. And also, we have a Discord. There is a link to the Discord at the top of the live chat. There is a link to the Discord in the description of the video. We do a live Bible study every Sunday night at 6 p.m. We do what you're watching right now. Uh, this is an open forum discussion. That's why other people are talking. This is Thursday, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Time. I did not watch The Matrix with you, Cat. And then Saturday night, we do a culture and news where we basically just pull some of the hottest things that are going on the previous week and then cover them and talk about them and sometimes debate about them, whatever. But just make sure people who don't watch the news are kind of up to speed. And also we enjoy talking about it. So that's 7.30, 7.30 on Saturday. All of these events, because they're all at different times now because I'm cruel, are in the Discord at the top. You hit the events tab. News and culture is next, 7.30, live Bible study, 6 on Sunday, and then Theistice podcast, what you're watching right now. So all that's there. Everybody is, that's in the live chat is lovely. They're phenomenal. They're all in the Discord. They're all talking there all the time, and they're smarter than me. I go in there a lot of the time, and I feel very much lost. I know a lot about a little. They know a lot about a lot. So I highly recommend popping in there and saying what's up. Didn't know you were a rapper, Joe. Only you could spit those. <laughs> I very much enjoyed you tonight, Charlie. I, I, I am dramatically pushing you to hop in the Discord with everybody. I feel like you would be a phenomenal addition in there, man. So I hope you consider it. The problem is many are arrogant and think they know better. The problem is everybody is freaking arrogant and thinks they know better, including me. 
including me, all of the time. It's a constant checking of myself. Like you, I, I have internal monologue 24 seven, just calling myself an arrogant asshole all day long. That's why open debate is so important. Yes. Joe, our good old Lord says, take care of my sheep peacefully. I, I try, I try. Joe is just being humble. He knows. No, I know a lot about a little. <laughs> Except whether I've watched the matrix or not. I, I feel like I'm in too deep now. I'll be honest. Even if I realize that I did not, or that I did in fact watch the matrix, I think I will take this to the grave. I'm in too deep. All right, y'all it's nine o'clock, two hours in. I love y'all. This was uh, fantastic. I will. Peace. What's that? I just said peace. Oh, peace. Later. Bye, y'all. I love you. Bye, bye, bye. I, I'll decide what we're doing for next Thursday. We might do what we kind of talked about. Uh, I think I'll we'll talk about it in Discord. I'll start a little thread, and we can decide what we want to do. Or, or I'll just post the freaking poll and let y'all decide. Everybody have a good night. I love y'all. We'll see you uh, tomorrow. Nope. We'll see you Saturday night for the Culture and News. Charlie, join Discord, please. It's free. If I didn't say that already, it's totally free. Nobody's ever going to ask you for money. It's just a place to come say hang out. Yes, floof. Er, tell Charlie to join Discord. Tell him to do that. Say no to pacifism. Agreed. Agreed. Love y'all. Night.